that? You really are. And uh, I work with the Baptist Churches of New England, as uh, uh, Adam mentioned a moment ago. And we together uh, comprise a family of about almost 400 Bible-believing evangelical uh, Baptist churches uh, across the six New England states. And this church right here is one of the very most important and, and valued churches of all those churches, particularly here in the state of New Hampshire. You are a flagship church, we refer to. You lead the way uh, and you inspire others by your example. I just am so encouraged to hear about how you support missionaries. That's the one thing. If you, if you could look at us, uh, Great Commission Baptists, or sometimes uh, in the South they use the term Southern Baptist. It doesn't quite fit so well here in New England, does it? Uh, but uh, Great Commission Baptists, uh, the one thing that holds us together, and uh, rather than each one becoming more independent in our spirit, we, we believe that by working together, we accomplish more for the kingdom of Christ. Two are always better than one, and a cord of three strands is not easily broken. You see, there's strength in cooperation. And uh, we thank God for your cooperation, for your participation uh, as we work together to support missionaries all over the world. I had the privilege for a number of years of serving as one of those. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that the International Mission Board missionaries are the envy around the world of all other missionaries. They all wish that they could be one because of the, of the remarkable way that our missionaries are cared for. They're prayed for, they're trained, and they're resourced, uh, and they're supported. Uh, and so thank God for what you do. And we're on mission here in New England, helping to, to plant new churches. Uh, and that is a good segue, uh, I suppose, into my sermon this morning. But I just want to say thank you, first of all, and greet you on behalf of our uh, executive director, Dr. Terry Dorsett. Uh, pray for Terry. His wife, Kay, is uh, in her final stages uh, of, of, of her earthly uh, life. Uh, he's taking some time off from his, from his duties. He's one of the most hardworking and diligent souls I've ever met in my entire life. He's so devoted to the work here. Uh, and yet he's taking some time off just to be at his wife's side and, and minister to her in these, in these closing days of her, of her life. And so keep that family in your prayers, if, if, you, if you will, and we appreciate that greatly. Now, I mentioned a moment ago, I was just out on the Cape a couple of days ago and uh, met with a pastor who uh, had spent the last four years of his life diligently alongside of his wife working to plant a new church. That's one of the things that we do together is, is to help establish more churches in New England because this is America's mission field, all right? And we need uh, many, many more churches. And in fact, and I suppose you already know these uh, dubious dis uh, statistics, but New Hampshire is the absolute rock bottom, least evangelical state in the entire country. So we, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are on America's mission field. We're right in the bullseye of lostness. And, uh, and so we, we need to band together and work together and pray and, and be focused on the task. Amen? Let's go home. That's the sermon for today. <laughs> Let's just do that. No, but I want to tell you about my encounter with this church planter down on the Cape. 
Uh, he and his wife had, uh, they're gifted, they're educated, they're uh, just lovely people, uh, remarkable in every sense of the word. Uh, but he had grown discouraged because of the slowness of the work. And, and he shared with me his heart. And he said, you know, uh, when we first came here, uh, it was his own hometown. He grew up in Hyannis. And God laid on his heart uh, uh, that there should be a Bible-preaching, vibrant, people-loving church in the heart of Hyannis. And uh, God called him to that work, and he went, and uh, they had no place to meet, so they said, well, we'll just meet out in the city park. And so very often on Sunday morning, they met in the city park, but you know, when you do that, like today, <laughs> with the rain, uh, they, they had to cancel services, so services were interrupted because of that. And then, the, you know, we all know what happened a couple of years ago, we were hit with the pandemic, uh, the coronavirus pandemic, and and what little momentum uh, was underway was just, just you know, canceled uh, because of the pandemic. And, uh, and then he also suffered the seasonal depression. I don't know if any of you uh, can relate to that, but I, I do it myself. I'm from the South, and these, these long, cold winters with, uh, you know, not much sunlight, uh, they, they can affect us uh, physically. And with a lack of exposure to sunlight, our body doesn't produce adequate uh, supply of vitamin D, and, and uh, we can become just kind of moody and melancholy and despondent, and, uh, and uh, we come out of it when the sun <laughs> reappears, you know, in the springtime. But he suffered with seasonal depression, which just lowered his spirit even more. And so after four years of, of just what appeared and felt like just an onslaught of, of unrelenting uh, setbacks and obstacles and disappointments, he and his wife began to assess where they were at in the work, and, and they realized that they really weren't very far along at all after all of that, and they began to think, well, what do we need to do differently? How can we rekindle the fire uh, that was once there deep down inside of our soul for the people of Hyannis? And as they thought about that and contemplated uh, what to do to move forward, they realized that the fire had gone out, that they were no longer energized inwardly uh, to do that work. They, just, they were just completely exhausted and, and discouraged and had lost hope. And they made the difficult decision to shut down that church plant. And they just shared that with us. We didn't try to talk them out of it, by the way. You would think we would, but when a person reaches that point, we just affirm them for their faithfulness, for their, for their hard work, and, and there are many, many good things that remain out of those four years that they labored there. But I just share that illustration. I, I like to be more uplifting and positive, but if we're always talking about the, you know that side of life, we're neglecting a reality that we all face. And that is uh, the example of this young church planter. Even the finest of God's people will encounter times when they become despondent in their spirit. I was at a church not long ago down in Billerica, and I asked the people, I says, have you ever had a time in your life where you have forgotten what it feels like to be happy? And I was surprised as I looked across the room how many people raised their hand. It shocked me. Have you ever had a time in your life where 
you'd grown so discouraged and despondent that you had forgotten what it feels like to be happy. Even the finest of God's people experience those things along the way. You know, we just don't float our way through life on a soft pillow and, and go into heaven. There are difficulties along the way that make us stronger, make us lean in a little bit harder uh, to God to experience His strength in the times of difficulty that, that bolster our faith, to know that He's faithful even when uh, times are tough. And today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and we're going to study a place where one of God's people, the prophet Jeremiah, was just in that place, just in that very place. And in fact, uh, if you have your Bibles, if you go to Lamentations chapter 3, depending on the translation, I'm reading out of the ESV this morning, and there it says these words, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 17. It says that uh, my soul, there it is on the screen, thank you guys, back in the sound booth, you guys get an extra donut during break time, all right? At, at the, all, right. all right, Steve, you make sure they get an extra donut, okay, Pam? Thank you. Look at here. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Spoken or written by the prophet Jeremiah, one of God's great men of God. And so we have to understand the context here. Of what happened. And then we're going to go down into verses 22, 21, 22, and 23. So look there with me, okay? Jeremiah chapter 3, I mean, uh, Lamentations chapter 3, 21, 22, and 23. And God gives him a word of hope here. And the verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the midst of that, that, that incredible despondency, uh, in light of, of, of the setbacks and the heartbreak uh, and the sense of hopelessness that he was in, and we're going to look there in a moment, uh, he says, but this I call to mind in that place, and therefore I have hope. Brothers and sisters, when we forget what it feels like to be happy, this word is what God calls us to remember. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now we need to understand the context of these words to, to appreciate the, the power of them. If those of us who study the book of Jeremiah, uh, it was, it was this, this, this powerful, unrelenting call to the people of God to repent and to turn back to God uh, uh, because of their, 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 their stiff-necked idolatry, and they refused over and over, and, and the warnings were given, and finally judgment fell. God is a patient God. God is a faithful God to to judge our sin, and so God's judgment fell upon the people of God. Can you imagine the heartbreak of a man of God who warned his people, uh, and, and they refused to listen, and then this, this, this national and spiritual catastrophe that, that is almost beyond 
our human ability to, to express the depth of this catastrophe that occurred, that just broke his heart. This, uh, this is when the, the, the Babylonians then surrounded the city of Jerusalem and laid siege. And the people were being starved and committing <coughs> uh, cannibalism. They broke through the wall and they, and they captured the, uh, the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. And uh, they did all kinds of, of, of terrible things. They, they murdered and they raped and they pillaged and they, they, they did all of that. And it happened in 586 B.C. and we can read about that in the history books or in the scriptures. They captured the Jewish king Zedekiah and they forced the king of the people of God, the king of uh, the kingdom of Judah, to watch with his own eyes as they executed every one of his sons. And then they cut out his eyes. They destroyed that magnificent temple built by King Solomon, tore it down stone upon stone. They took the most remaining of the Jewish population into captivity and into slavery. And God suffered, people suffered all of this because of their own spiritual stubbornness. They'd been warned. And they chased after false idols and they brought all of this down upon themselves. It's, it's really difficult. Seriously, it's difficult for us to even read the biblical record of that event without our own hearts. These many centuries later, as we identify with that catastrophe, without our own hearts being broken, without our own eyes being moistened with tears over what God's people went through, more than any other event in the entire Old Testament, more than any other event in all of Scripture except for Golgotha, this event, this event that we are looking at, was the darkest hour, the most heartbreaking moment of the entire history of God's chosen people. And that's why Jeremiah said, my soul is bereft of, of joy. Uh, I, I am so heartbroken that I can't even remember. It's been so long ago. I've lost touch with the, with the memory of what it feels like to be lighthearted optimistic, hopeful, and joyful. And yet, when he was in that place, there was something, there was something about who God is that gave him hope. And this is what he's called to remember. And I want us to focus here on those verses there in verse 22 and 23. It says there that uh, Lamentations 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You know, we could just kind of park on, on these verses. They, uh, they are so rich. They are so, so profound uh, that uh, we, we likely could never exhaust uh, the, the, the wealth of truth uh, in these words. But I just want to kind of touch on three things this morning. Uh, that we need to remember when we have forgotten about happiness, all right? Uh, and that is, first of all, that God's love for us is steadfast. You see that word steadfast? This in the, in the Hebrew language is the word hesed. 
it has that guttural pronunciation that, that's common in, in the Hebrew language, chesed. Can you say that? You got to kind of get it down here, chesed. You got a little vibration right there, chesed. And can let me hear you say it. Who can do it? Steve, where's Steve at? Come on, Steve. Chesed. There you go. If you just say Hesed, you get it wrong. You gotta you gotta let it rumble a little bit. Hesed. And um, <clears throat> but it's it's it is an incredibly rich word that cannot be defined in the English language with any single word. And so you look at the different translations and they all take a stab at it and there's so many different renderings of this word that, that hit at least one of the nuances of it, but it's impossible for one English word because it is so profoundly rich. And could it be any other way when it is a word that describes the love of God? Can you, can you zero that in on one word? It is so incredibly rich. And that's this word, chesed. It's, it's a word uh, that the, the Jews understood. Uh, uh, often we see it translated loving kindness. Uh, here, uh, the modern translation calls it the steadfast love. Now, steadfast, uh, it has the idea of, of, of being dependable. Uh, uh, some uh, commentators believe that the, the best single English word is the word devotion. And that's a good translation, but even that comes short. And, and uh, it's more of an irrevocable, an irrevocable devotion. That gets closer to the idea of chesed. The steadfast, God's love for us is steadfast. It is, he loves us with an irrevocable devotion. He's committed He's committed to us irrevocably. And it's based upon, it goes, theologically, we see this concept of chesed always rooted uh, in the Old Testament uh, experience of a covenant, all right? It even occurs on the human level, human to human. David uh, to Jonathan, the son of, of King Saul, they had a covenant, that was an irrevocable devotion to look out for one another, to have each other's back, no matter what happened in the future. To, to, to stand for one another. You see, it can even happen in the, in the human spheres like that. But it happens between God and His people, where God irrevocably commits Himself and devotes Himself to His people. Uh, and He makes a covenant with them to do that. And, uh, and so that's what makes it steadfast because God has covenanted it. He has promised, He's under contract with His people to fulfill these things, of lo- the, this expression of love and care. When I was a missionary, I'm still a missionary now here in America's mission field, but when I was a missionary overseas in Eastern Europe, post-Soviet, post-communist Eastern Europe, we were serving God there, and, and God was blessing our ministry, and, and, uh, and yet there was a time when God called us to a new mission field, and that's where we're at now. Uh, but my little girl, my little 12-year-old girl there uh, in uh, Kiev, Ukraine, she said, Daddy, I'd like to have a dog. And, 
Well, we lived like most Ukrainians live in high-rise apartment building in the, in, the, in, the, you know, in the capital city, three million people. And we didn't live in a house with a backyard and a fence out in the suburbs. We lived in an apartment building. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't, you know, I said, honey, uh, I, I want to get you a dog. But I just said, you know, this is just not the time or place to get a dog. I mean, we'd have to, we live in an apartment. It's just not a, the right setting to, to own a pet dog. And you have to take them out every morning and uh, out in the cold. And, and then uh, and I said, but I'll tell you what I'll do. I made her a promise. I said, when we move back to America, God was already beginning to lead us and we were sensing his call back to the States. I said, when we get back to America, you can have a dog. That was my promise to her. And we moved here to New England, but, you know, time had come. You know, uh, uh, time had passed. My daughter had grown older. We got here to the States, moved to Nashua, became the pastor of the Nashua Baptist Church, and my daughter went to the, uh, the Christian uh, school there in Nashua, uh, Nashua Christian Academy. Uh, she was uh, getting to be a senior in school and, and making preparation to go to college. <laughs> And I began to think about my promise to her. To get, we had been out to the pound a couple of times to look at dogs. And we was going to fulfill my promise to my daughter. We looked at different dogs. And she never saw one that was just, you know, just captured her heart. Uh, and so we kind of had to take some time to, to find the right dog. And, and she was getting older. And, and so what happened was that uh, uh, she was getting ready to graduate from high school. And the next step was she would leave home and go to college. And then I realized that my little girl's dog would then become my dog. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? And the more I thought about that, I said, you know, dogs, they, they gotta, you gotta, you gotta take them out every morning when it's cold or snowy or rainy. It just doesn't matter. They gotta go out for a walk. And at night, and uh, you know, they this you gotta wash them, and oh my goodness, you gotta you gotta just do all this stuff with these dogs. And I just didn't want a dog nearly as much as my daughter wanted a dog. And I had a conversation with my daughter, and I said, you know, honey, I know I promised you a dog, but you're getting ready to go to college, and and I don't think I could take take care of a dog. And and uh, and so the the end of the story is simply that I never did get a dog. I promised my little girl, whom I love with all of my heart and soul, that she could have a dog, and I broke my promise because circumstances changed. Time had passed, and I, I couldn't fulfill my word to my daughter. That's what happens on the human level. But God is not a man. When God makes a promise to his people, it's ironclad. It's irrevocable. It's a steadfast love. And that's what God wants you to know when it just you're in your darkest hour and you lose all hope that God's love for you is ironclad. He will not go back on his word. God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should change his mind. He keeps his promises. But there's a second thing here, and, uh, and that is uh, that 
God loves us with a tender love. All right, look at that scripture again. Uh, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never changes. His mercies never come to an end. Now that word mercies, it's another one of those words that just, you know, translation is not an exact science. It's not a word for word always in different languages. And, uh, and so here you have the word mercies. And sometimes you have the word tender mercies, depending on the translation. And the, uh, the word in the Hebrew uh, is the same word that refers to a woman's, a mother's womb. It's the word racham, racham. And, uh, and it's related to the, to the mother's womb, and it, it tries to draw an association. God's mercy toward us is, is like that tender affection, that gentle, tender, thoughtful affection that a mother has, not only toward her nursing child, but even before that, toward the child that she carries within her womb. Think of that. It's, it's, it's just it's incredible to think that, that God, in all of His vastness and power, uh, uh, who, who is glory is so great that, that we cannot even behold His glory with our eyes, that that great and magnificent and awesome God, that His mercy toward us is gentle, tender like that like a mother just last night my little my, my daughter joanna my my second daughter not the one my third daughter that i broke my promise to but uh, joanna is married and she lives in nashua with her husband who's an engineer and they have three boys and last night we had a gender reveal party and you know they had a cake they had decorated uh, uh and they had an envelope uh, that the they had gone to the sonog get a sonogram and the uh, and the, the nurse there wrote the gender of the child on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope and sealed it. All right, so that nobody would know. And uh, so they baked a cake, uh, and they made a charcuterie board made out of the letters B A B Y. They went to all this trouble and they decorated the charcuterie board, you know, with all kinds of goodies. Uh, and then they had this cake with icing. But there was no sprinkles on the cake, all right? Because we had to know whether it was going to be pink sprinkles or blue sprinkles. You know how that goes. And so uh, when the moment of truth came, uh, my little grandson, Hezro, went and he opened the envelope. Uh, and he didn't, mom and dad was not told what was in the envelope. And he got the appropriate balloon. And they, they held the balloon over top of that cake that had icing but no sprinkles. And they popped the balloon and out came Pink sprinkles. Granddaughter. After three boys, a granddaughter. Oh, and the excitement. We clapped and we shouted for joy. But just that experience, I think, is just a little anecdote of, of the tender-hearted God who loves us with an irrevocable devotion. That just think about how my daughter just, you know, she, she went to so much effort <laughs> just that we could find out if we're going to have a granddaughter or grandson. So much trouble. Cutting out. And, you know, they made a charcuterie board out of these letters that they had to make by their own selves. They made it, you know, B-A-B, 
D-A-B-Y, and they filled it with food, and they had, they had uh, pink napkins and blue napkins. And when we found out that the sprinkles were pink, we changed all the napkins so everything was pink. And, and it was just all of this effort. But you know, for my daughter, it was no effort. It was a joy. Because she has that motherly, tender love like that. We see that in the heart of the God in the life of the, of the prophet Elijah when he went up on the mountain. He was so despondent. Remember, he, he said, Lord, it's, it's enough. You can just take my life. He was suicidal. He was so emotionally drained. And he, God sent him up on the mountain to have an encounter. Do you remember that story in 1 Kings chapter 19? Go there sometime. And he was there on the mountain and there was an earthquake and a fire, and a wind. And the Scripture says, but God was not in the earthquake. You'd expect God to show up in an earthquake, wouldn't you? And God was not in the fire, and God was not in the wind and the storm. But there appeared a quiet, still voice. And God spoke to him in that voice. That's a picture of the tenderness of our great God. I love what that great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, how he expounded on this attribute of our God. And let me just read you this, this brief quote because nobody could ever do it better than he. If you think of this tenderness in connection with God, it will strike you with wonder for an instant that, that one so great should be so tender. For we are apt to impute to omnipotence, with a capital O, a crushing energy, which can scarcely take account of little, feeble, and suffering things. Yet if we think again, the surprise will disappear, as we shall see, with a new wonder of admiration that it must be so. He that is truly great among men is tender because he's great in heart as well as in brain and in hand. The truly great spirit is always gentle because God is so infinitely great. He is therefore Folks, when you forget, when you forget what it feels like to be happy, remember this, that God loves you, He loves me, with an irrevocable devotion. That He is unspeakably, remarkably, wonderfully, unexpectedly tender-hearted and gentle with you. And then look with me at that final point there. He says, that His mercies never come. <laughs> they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Just, just focus on that one phrase and description there, that they are new, these mercies of God. And the expressions of His chesed love, that these are new every single morning. There's a hurricane alert. 
we're in the right place here in the basement, aren't we? Okay, okay. <laughs> Don't worry, God is with us, right? So, God's love for us is equated with the rising of the sun that is new every morning. And so what, what can we say about that? What is, what is the prophet Jeremiah trying to point us to there? And uh, it is that, that God's love is expressed to us on a daily basis, uh, every day. It's, it's, it's new like the, the, it's new every single morning. God expresses his love to us daily, daily. Sometimes it comes to us incognito. Sometimes we don't see it happen. But he never walks out on us. He never forgets us. He never loses his tender-hearted affection toward us. He never neglects us. And sometimes when we are in our darkest hour, that's when these promises, we lean into them, we cry out to him, and we experience his nearness in such a precious way to get us through and beyond that, that despondent experience. That happened to me a number of years ago. We were uh, attending a missionary conference because of your faithfulness, the cooperative program, my wife and I, and missionaries all over the world once a year. Uh, our leadership brings missionaries together for uh, an AGM, annual general meeting. And in those meetings, uh, we, uh, we get good preaching to, to stir us up and good worship to just, you know, rekindle our, our hearts and the fellowship and food <laughs> and R&R. And, uh, you know, in nicer locations around the world. And so we always look forward to those kind of gathering with our colleagues. Uh, and uh, they often will bring uh, physicians uh, over from uh, who will give a week or two of their time and, and, and serve the missionaries, examine them and so forth. My wife just went in for a routine examination uh, to meet with a, a physician. Uh, and when she came out of that, I was in some meetings. and I said, how did it go? Wasn't expecting anything, you know, uh, remarkable to be said. But she, her face was ashen. It just Her face, just all the, all the color was gone and drained. And she said, Sam, the doctor found uh, a tumor in my abdomen the size of a softball. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. A tumor in my wife's abdomen the size of a softball. Life was just going along. Just Man, we were just riding high spirits and with our missionary colleagues, enjoying all of that, that, that just taste of heaven on earth. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and then just out of the clear blue. Just everything was just put in reverse, and, and, and our world was falling apart. And uh, because, of the, because of the medical facilities there in Eastern Europe, uh, our IMB missionaries would be medevaced or, or, uh, to places like Frankfurt, Germany, or in Western Europe, where the standard of medicine is on par with what we have in the States. And uh, so it would be a couple of weeks before my wife was able to get to Germany to, to have a thorough examination and, and treatment. And, and so we were just in this no man's land of not knowing, well, what, what is the status of this tumor growing in her abdomen? What is it? Is it, is it cancerous? Is it malignant? Is it benign? Uh, is this, what's going to happen to us? And the mother of our five children and, and uh, all of it, we were just 
all of these unanswered questions and suspense of not knowing was, was just hard to bear. And I leaned into the Lord in that moment. And I said, God, I cannot handle this. Give me Your grace. Sustain me. And I want you to know, I stand here on record before God to tell you and to report back to you that God's faithfulness to me was ironclad. His mercies toward me were tender. And every single day as we waited, God gave me a new installment of peace that was beyond anything that I could explain. When the whole world just seemed to be falling apart in front of me and I was powerless to do anything, every day, my heart, every morning, my heart was renewed with peace. And what He did for me, He will do for you. And so let me just end it by reminding you of those points. Even the best of God's people are going to have times in life when you just hit with one setback and discouraging thing after another to where it just comes to a point where you just forget what it feels like to be happy. God wants you to remember this that will bring you hope. That His love for you is steadfast. He is irrevocably devoted. That He loves you with a tender love. Uh, and that He will express that to love to you every single day. Amen? Be encouraged by that. God bless you, Island Pond Baptist Church. Father, we thank You for Your, your amazing love toward us.